Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Mi gente, what is good? This is Machete Mate with the current events episode. Quick turnaround, the real homies know because we literally dropped a conversation, comrade conversations yesterday with Arepa Libre. Um, as of the time of this recording, she took us through her personal diaspora story and coming back home to Vieque. We talked about the specific colonial character of the island within the bigger context of colonized archipelago of Puerto Rico, and yes, like it's. I mean, I guess it's not surprising, but it is, I guess, confronting because we probably should have done a better job at talking about how Puerto Rico is not just one island. It's a group of islands. Um, but yeah, so like the, the thing coming out now, the I guess one of the things that we have about Puerto Rico is like uh, 100, 100 by 35 is, you know, the homeland. But now it's like more than 100 by 35 because obviously includes Culebra, Ebieques and the other islands. So, yes, we're talking about entire, you know, island chain. I'm going to throw in the Virgin Islands there as well because they're homies as well. Pretty much the same geographical, geological sort of um, absolutely area, I guess, group of islands. Um, anyway, yeah, so we talked about neoliberalism, austerity, settler colonialism, and the San Juan Industrial Complex. Basically how even within a colonized land like the capital of the colony, it's still sort of the hegemonic center of power throughout the entire thing because a lot of people tend to focus on San Juan and forget about the rest of... Um, the places where the people live, where the colonized, you know, subjects live. So um, very, very, very dope conversation. Um, it was amazing. And independent of it being sort of the jumping off point for our entire politics, definitely amazing thing. So definitely, please, please, please check it out. If you care about Puerto Rico, but not Vieque, you don't care about Puerto Rico. Simple as that. Um, shout out to 100%. Yeah, for real. Shout out to new compa oficial Randy. So the compa um, help the cause and gain access to Machete After Dark, which apparently the next one that we're recording after this will be a deep dive into the life of Leroy. Um, we're, we're still contemplating that's going to happen, though, but stay tuned. It'll be, it, it'll be fun. <laughs> um, yo, quick shout out to DMX, too. Like, he's apparently really going through at the moment, so um, rest up and get better. I think um, he had an OD, but he's, um, he's, he's pulling through. Um, OG DMX. Anyway, I'm Leroy, coming to you from unceded Wurundjeri land in so-called Melbourne, victoria in australia and of course we got the homies t from undisclosed coordinates in virginia <laughs> what's up y'all and of course the homie austin yo 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 back at it again thank you leroy literally back at it again it feels like we we're just doing this like half an hour ago or like just yesterday <laughs> anyway it's 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 a, it's a lifestyle this shit's a lifestyle anyway <laughs> quick vibe check before we get into it t how's it going Good. Um, I have been. I am now five G capable, which is very exciting. Um, I I'm getting. You know, I have my antenna put in. I got my Bill Gates microchip. I am currently within. I I am. I feel like the a twenty first century digital boy. It's great. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. How about you, Austin? What's good, man? 
feeling great. You know, it's uh, end of the week, right? This was a particularly uh, intense work week for me, right? But I think it was altogether uh, a very good, a very good week for me that I'm happy to wrap up. And not just that, I'm happy to wrap up the month, right? I know the month of March was a certainly a busy as hell one for me. Yeah, so definitely. happy to have that in the past. Happy to be to be moving forward. And tomorrow's Easter, right? That's super cool. Easter's fun. Who doesn't like that? You know, Easter egg hunts and, and all that good stuff, right? Those are fun. Um, yeah, I'm sure you'll be doing some of that, Leroy. Or I guess today. Or, I don't know, time's not real. Wherever the fuck you are in Australia. That's exactly That's right. right. We're time-pilled. Well, and actually, on that note, you know what I realized, like, just before? That, I mean, it's already a, the official one-year anniversary of our Twitter account. Because, you know, Twitter reminded us. So, um, happy anniversary to us. But, it's the year <laughs> anniversary of our first recording. And I remember because Austin, it was me and you. T comes in and all of a sudden, like randomly goes, Oh, T's here, he wants to jump in. And then we were talking about the language and identity, and T starts talking about like liminal spaces and shit. And I remember because it was, I was recording on Easter. And as a joke, I'm like, Oh, like, T, do you have a prayer for us? And you said some shit about like whatever happens, there's always the promise of like an empty tomb or some shit. Austin, you want to jump in real quick, bro? <laughs> First of all, that's funny as fuck. Just Jesus Christ. Um, uh, uh, no, but literally, the, yeah. The that was really a year ago. Wow, that's I'm in my crazy, brain. Y'all. I could have swore our first episode was like in like June or something. Like, and I don't know why my brain. Here's the thing: this whole beginning of the year, I've been so busy. Time has flown by. Now my brain is still thinking like, oh yeah, the year year just started. We're in like February, right? But now I mean it's April. We're like almost a quarter of the way in, and it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, my my brain is melting just thinking that's been a whole year. I didn't even think about that. Wow, that's that's amazing. Well, no, no, like I feel that Austin because because like my brain associates our like first like time with the show like in the summertime because that's when we really started like grinding, yeah. you know, before from from. Right. From like April of last year up until the midsummer, we were releasing them kind of more infrequently when we found the time. And then like, you know, we realized we really enjoyed doing this. Um, we had some great feedback. Um, there was there was some good responses and we decided, you know, let's let's really try to work. Let's really try to work at this shit and, and like our grind. So this is the first time we really started. Uh, the anniversary when we got on that grind, though, is is definitely the midsummer sometime. 100%. But um, yeah, I guess happy anniversary, happy anniversary to us. Um, it's been a pleasure being with you guys and uh, making this project happen. Um, and thanks to all the the fans who, for whatever reason, like show us love because it's still co- so confusing. <laughs> to me. Um, but not nah, it's it's been it's been it's been educational. It's been really good. Um, but yeah. Anyway, before we get too sentimental, let's keep the ball rolling. Just a couple of headlines, as per usual. Um, just following up a headline that we literally did yesterday or the day before in that um, the com- conversation with um, Arepa. Um, the Chile Constitutional Assembly elections were supposed to happen on the same day as the Ecuadorian election on April 11th, which so happens to be the Peru the Peruvian election as well. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, but Austin mentioned that, and I haven't, I haven't seen anything of this, so I'm just going off of what Austin said, that it's been moved. Also, you said to May, May 15th, something like that? Yeah, so uh, Sebastian Piñera, the, the resident of Chile, had been talking about uh, for a couple of weeks now, uh, potentially moving the date of the elections. Um, and this was, uh, at least to my understanding, um, 
this was widely supported by the majority of uh, political parties and public opinion in Chile uh, because of the COVID situation right now. Uh, right now, about 80% of the population is in quarantine, right? Including the whole of Santiago, right? Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty strict quarantine going on in Chile right now, um, which, I mean, we can't blame it entirely on, on Brazil, but later on, we'll be talking a little bit about how if one big country nearby has really bad COVID uh, preparation, it filters out everywhere, right? Yeah. And that's been affecting all of South America. Um, but yeah, with that in mind, uh, the Chilean Chamber of Deputies re- uh, did recently approve to postpone the elections. Uh, which had been scheduled for April April 11th, uh, the same day of both the Ecuador and, and Peruvian elections as well, which, Jesus, that's insane. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's been postponed to uh, to uh, May 15th and, and 16th, uh, that, that, uh, the week of that, uh, the week of. Um, and uh, yeah, th- to say that things are extraordinarily complex in Chile going into these elections, right? You know, we've talked, we touched upon uh, Daniel Hadaway and the uh, Communist Party of Chile recently, right? Uh, we would love at some point in the near future to do a bit of a deeper dive on the political dynamics in Chile, right? A little bit of a, uh, a deeper explanation on, on, on yeah. why the Communist Party of Chile has been able to surge, right? Believe it or not, there's deeper reasons than just, oh, yeah, we're, we're supporting the left now. No, it's a lot deeper than that. There's a reason why the Communist Party in particular has been able to benefit from the protests and, you know, some instructive lessons there. Uh, maybe even, you know, we'll be trying to get a comrade on the ground in Chile. That's something we'll be working toward as well, uh, maybe to, 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 to help us break that down within the next month. So, so yeah, just just be on the lookout for that, everybody, because that's definitely a, a really big, important story that will be, be coming up. 100%. Chile is always complex. Like, if you look at the entire history of the region of all Latin America, Chile is one of those places that stands out as being complex at every level of, you know, that you can imagine in terms of political movements and just in, in general. Um, and you mentioned um, quite correctly that even if a place itself isn't, you know, doesn't, isn't going through, you know, the issues with, with the pandemic or whatever, but being connected or being, you know, adjacent to other places where it is, it is going to affect it. One of the worst places in the region affected by COVID and everything has been Peru. So we'll actually, that's a perfect segue. We'll talk about Peru just quickly. Um, like I mentioned before, their presidential election, actually it's like their entire election for Congress. And so they do the entire thing on the same day. Um, it's April 11th. So it would have, been, would have coincided with the original date of the constitutional convention uh, election in Chile with the second round of Ecuador's elections. Um, and that's that's another interesting place. Peru is another really, really complex place um, with a lot of moving parts. Um but yeah, like I said, it's getting interesting. The person, if I'm not mistaken, that's leading the pack there is a guy named Yoni Lescano, who's sort of this, comes off as this like pop economic populist, like, yeah, you know, let's distribute, um, redistribute wealth or whatever, but still has those social conservative, you know, I guess, values, you want to say. Um, but a surprising, someone who's in the very surprising is a, is a candidate by the name of Victoria or Veronica Mendoza, who's running with the left wing Juntos por Peru, um, so uh, associated with the Communist Party, the Socialist Party, sort of a coalition of those sort of leftist parties there. Um, uh, regrettably, she has sort of um, expressed a bit of disdain for Maduro and Chavismo and all that stuff, which is unfortunate because, again, what we're trying to do is build a united front. Um, coalition building for the movement, right? Austin, you want to jump in here? Yeah, we've talked a little bit about, or at least any time we've talked about Peru in the past, you know, we've kind of mentioned how it's it's a clusterfuck, right? And it's a clusterfuck 
uh, I would argue by design, only because Peru is one of those places that if it actually had like a a strong leftist government or even like a government that actually, you know, governed for Peruvians, it would be an economic and regional powerhouse, right? We're talking about the seat of the Inca, you know, for good, for good reason, right? And that's why Peru is kept in this state of, you know, constant, you know, uh, shit, right? For for lack of a better phrase. And also, I think when talking about the situation of, um, uh, the the struggles that the left have uh, in Peru, you know, I think it's impossible to talk about kind of like the after effects of the Shining Path, right? And kind of like the the wars that happened in the the eighties and early nineties, right? Uh, a lot of what Fujimori was able to do in the nineties really kind of like cemented the rule of kind of the the right wing uh, within Peru. And obviously, it's a lot more complex than that. It's a lot more nuanced than that. Um, but I think that's a big reason why you see even like. Vero Mendoza, who's like the who's the candidate that the left wing is is coalescing around, guarantee you she's the candidate that Maduro is pulling for, right? Yeah. And yet you still see Vero, you know, forced to come out and say these anti-Maduro things and have this anti-Chavista rhetoric. That's an example of uh, of how far to the right the political spectrum in Peru has been pulled, right? The counterexample, of course, being Venezuela, where you see people like Juan Guaido have to do the opposite, right? They have to pay lip service to social democratic policies because of how far to the left the narrative has been uh, pulled in Venezuela. So kind of some counterexamples there. But once again, not, not so cut and dry and a lot more nuanced than all of that. Yeah, 100% on that. A couple of points. That sort of reminds me of how when Bernie was running, Evo and the pink tide leaders all came out. You know, Comrade Bernie, Comrade Bernie, you know, our brother Bernie. But Bernie was a bit wishy-washy on supporting them as well. Because in South America, Latin America, they didn't give a shit. They understood what what was at stake for them having even a marginally socialist leader up there. You know what I mean? No, that's a great example. Because... They see how much how how important it would be if if Bernie was elected president of the United States, right? And they see in Peru how much of a sea change it would be if Vero was uh, elected in Peru, right? That because Peru's an important player here, right? Peru's yeah. a very important player. Getting somebody who's at least sympathetic to the left elected in Peru, oh, it's incredible. Now it ain't like if we got our man Petro in in Bogota, you know, that would be that's like whoo. That's a sea change of sea changes. That's I, I dared I feel bad even speaking that into existence, right? Because of how I'm, I'm not trying to jinx it. Um, but I'll, I'll yeah. pass it back to you, Leroy. I don't know if you got your thought back. No, yeah, it's, it's remembered. And just going back to your point about how historically, you know, sort of right wing Peru has been. When we talk about historically, we mean going back to like pre independence stuff. One of the last bastions of like monarch, like monarch gizm like loyalty to the to the spanish crown was in peru so you had bolivar coming from the north or in south san martin coming up from the south peru was sort of in the middle that was that last bastion of like of um crown loyalties and that's going up in every every facet of history so all the way up to the time of mariategui when he's talking about like the 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 the, the continued the existing um latifundistas in peru whereas all the other sort of Latin american countries were sort of more rapidly industrialized and moving towards that capitalist mode of production. One of the issues with Peru was the world was changing around them while they were still trying to hold on to this feudal existence. Up until now, like who, like you mentioned Fujimori, you, you can't create a more right-wing motherfucker than Fujimori. And his daughter is running now who's even mm-hmm. worse than him. And she's, by all accounts, she'll be one of the two in the, in the runoff elections, which is, which is mind-boggling to me. She made it to the runoff last time. Exactly right. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, the, the I was 
almost about to make the exact same point you just made, which is bringing up Mariatagi, right? I think Mariatagi's writings on Peru and why Peru is so kind of like fucked up in particular are very instructive here. Um, Mariatagi talks a lot about what you described, how, how Peru was the seat of the Spanish colonial power within South America, right? And not just that. Something that a concept that was so fascinating to me that I first really kind of began to dwell on for reading Mariatagi, you know, the, the, the comparison between Peru and Mexico, right? Peru being the seat of the Inca, Mexico being the seat of the Aztec, right? What's the big difference between modern day Peru and modern day Mexico? In Mexico, the capital is still in the historical land where the Aztecs had their capital, right? You can't go to Mexico City without seeing the fucking pyramids. Whereas in Peru, the capital is in Lima. It's over on the coast, way the fuck away from Cusco, way the fuck away from where the Inca had their capital, right? So it's kind of, it's it almost solidified that stratified society of, oh yeah, all the fucking Indians up in the mountains, right? You know, we're the, mm-hmm, you know, we're the fucking Lima elite or whatever the fuck, right? Whereas in Mexico, and I know people have, people have big legitimate criticisms of, you know, Mestizaje as it, you know, uh, manifests itself in Mexico, but in Mexico, there was a lot more of a quote unquote fusion of cultures than there was in a place like Peru. But that's definitely a whole other topic that's for another day. One hundred percent. And I don't know if I should drop it here, but um, in terms of Mariategui and learning more, might have a little thing in the works for the for the patrons. So um, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Anyway, yeah. Let's keep the ball rolling. Let's get the meat potatoes with today's stories. So today we're going to be talking about the big news out of Brazil. Um, bunch of military guys are gone. Bunch of top ministers are gone, which is very very interesting. Um, setting up something like um, the T said at best, almost like an alien versus predator thing that on the surface might seem good. But if you deep, if you dig down it's the same shit, we're going to be talking about Honduras and everything that's going on there from the primaries that um, took place the other day or continued, like the results are still coming through and like all the fallout from that and the fallout of, um, again, I'm going to repeat the president of Honduras, his brother going to fucking prison for life for narco trafficking. And then we'll probably finish off on talking about the latest from Ecuador, um, all the bullshit that's going on there, all the dividing sort of um, loyalties that are going there that are manifesting that's um, proving how um, how smart we are and um, how big our brains are, like T says. Um, <laughs> but we'll we'll start in Brazil because Brazil is the biggest, you know, for me is one of the biggest players in the region. That um, if you want to know anything that's going on in Latin America, it all goes through Brazil, right? So what am I talking about? Uh, just last week or the week before, we saw the resignation of the foreign minister, who's this, you know, cultural Marxist sort of conspiracy theorist guy that um was one of um, Bolsonaro's like little henchmen, and he was spitting out like all these weird uh, conspiracy theories. The entire Congress wanted him to resign. He finally resigns. Um, he was this guy who would give speeches and always give random quotes about like the glory of like ancient Rome and fucking the Greeks and shit like that. Um. And then the defense minister resigned, and then the top three guys in each of the uh, the military branches resigned as well. So what I'm gathering from this, um, and we'll probably we could post the uh, the link to the article as well, is a lot of them resigned because they were sensing or they were about to be asked to do things that they didn't want to do. So again, Bolsonaro, as we know, is one of those. He's a he's a he's an autocrat through and through. He doesn't understand why people don't do just what like what he's asking him to do. Bit of um, bit Trumpian like that. But these military guys, you know, they're they're constitutionalists in that sort of classic, sort of romantic, you know, um, post independence sort of uh, like 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 sense. 
so obviously these military guys are still right wingers. They still have you know you know these like glorified notions of like the military dictatorship, and they wouldn't mind going to that. But you know if it's what the people want, but. Bolsonaro kept talking about coups and shit, and they weren't about to have that because, again, they they're, they're, I, I don't want to say they're trying to sanitize the entire period of the military dictatorship, but that's what it seems like. But they're all gone now. So, T, I don't know if you wanted to jump in here. You had your, your hand raised. Well, it's, you know, it's funny, just like when you describe some of these guys, you know, that the minister who's always talking about the glory of ancient Rome the generals who call themselves constitutionalists, Bolsonaro, who is just an obnoxious... Uh, arrogant prick who doesn't care about his people the you know they're it goes to show you how similar nationalists are across the world because all of this kind of shit is present in the united states as well among u.s nationalists they all go on about the same thing they're constitutionalists they love ancient rome and they're obnoxious pricks I, i it's very interesting and it confirms something that we have have kind of been able to see for many months now which is that bolsonaro is increasingly isolated yeah. even among reactionary elements now he was ice we had evidence that he was isolated politically against you know in relation to other political parties and movements of the far right now he is isolated from reactionary institutions in brazil yeah. the mil- military and then some of the political class it, I mean, I don't know what he does next, for real, for real. Yeah, I think one of the things, um, and I think could be the thing, I don't know, like, people keep talking about, oh, what if he does a coup? He's going to put his people in those positions to just, you know, self-coup, whatever. But one of the things that people have been talking about is that he's setting up, he's potentially setting the stage if he loses the election, because, again, Lula's back. If Lula runs, he'll fucking win. Like, all the polls are saying it, like, conventional wisdom saying it, like, it's almost a foregone conclusion, hopefully. But I guess what people are saying that he's setting the stage that if he loses, that's when he'll, you know, throw out the, the election or it was rigged. It was all this shit and basically unleash the military, which is something he's wanted to do all this entire time. And he keeps getting pushed back from the Supreme Court, from even even his own sycophant, like military people Like we, can, we can't just fucking do that. And he's now, you know, it's pe- people are saying that he's coming out and that's why he's doing this now. So here's what I think. I have a lot of thoughts about this. I, I wouldn't ever rule out Bolsonaro being crazy enough to like do like a full-blown fascist coup. Uh, what I will say, though, is that I think fundamentally Bol- Bolsonaro can call himself, as we've said in the past, like many right-wingers across the world, kind of like you were talking about, T, uh, Bolsonaro can call himself a Brazilian nationalist all he wants. The fact of the matter is that he gets his orders from Washington. And what Washington does not like is dictators. What Washington likes is neoliberal technocrats who just, you know, bow, oh my goodness, okay, yeah. So I think the military will happily, uh, I think the military in my mind is kind of the wild card here. I think that you know, of course they like him, right? Of course the military is sympathetic to Bolsonaro, uh, but they also like a return to normalcy. And not just that, they also know that a Lula versus Bolsonaro election probably won't work out well for them, right? Which is why I've said for a while now, I really don't rule out the military um, or either uh, either a coup against Bolsonaro or a straight up impeachment, right? A straight up impeachment. Uh, let me Let me rephrase it. I don't rule out Bolsonaro somehow not even making it to the end of his term. And if anybody's skeptical about that, it literally happened last time. 
It literally happened last time with Dilma, right? So, and the reason I say this is because I, you know, once again, the military for me is the wild card here. Does Bolsonaro have, and especially with what's going on in here in the past few weeks, clearly Bolsonaro recognizes that as well, right? Making sure the military is firmly behind him is important for him. But fundamentally, you motherfucker, this dude takes his fucking orders from Washington, fundamentally. And if he tries to do a full-blown fascist dictatorship, that is very, that is such a bad look for Washington. And I know people can listen to that and be skeptical and think, oh, well, what about all the fucking war crimes the United States has done? I get that. I get that. But just look at Juan Orlando Hernandez, who we're going to be talking about a little bit later. You know, now that he's like <laughs> gone full blown narco dictator, it's okay. Let's exchange this motherfucker for for, for another uh, another cleaner puppet. I definitely concur with both of that assessments. I I think when we're trying to parse out what's going to happen, you know, what's more likely to happen? Bolsonaro leads a coup or they just get rid of him for a more palatable right-wing figure as their front man, you know? So I don't think Bolsonaro is important, special enough, or has enough loyalty in the reactionary institutions that exist in Brazil to kind of pull that off. It's very, he, he is the most Trump-like politician in the entire world in that he thought he was the great leader and he might be the great leader to his, you know, to his actual sycophants, but he does not have you know, because this isn't the first time Bolsonaro has actually clashed with the military high command. This has yeah. happened. It seems it happens like every few yeah. months, like there's some kind of weird spat between him and some random officer. So more than likely, you know, if they have to deal with the question, you know, the fucking fear of Lula, again, a Lula who is going to be even more popular, less inclined to compromise and back down to bullshit yeah. in a, whether, you know, Facing that, they could either, you know, stick with Bolsonaro and go down with that ship or just get rid of him and, ha and put a new fucking front man. Because at the end of the day, they don't really care about the personalities. Like you said, Austin, they take orders from Washington. And what Washington wants is stability because stability brings profits. Exactly. Stability brings broken exactly. populations. Stability allows military uh, influence exerted by the United States across the world. That's what they want. They don't need the old style shit, exactly. you know, at least from their perspective. Yeah. Just quickly before I pass it on back to you, Austin, just a bit of context with all this. You got to remember, Bolsonaro is an, is an old army guy from the from the dictatorship, right? He was a par paratrooper or some shit. This man worships the idea of the military, of a military dictatorship. He's come out and said it like, I want this is what I want to do. And because he's Trump-like, a lot of people dismiss it as like, oh, you know, he's just talking shit, whatever. This motherfucker wants to do a military dictatorship in his in his heart, which is why he can't, that's why he clashes with a lot of these military guys, because the military guys are like, we, we don't, you know, I get it, but we don't want to do that again, because again, we take our orders from Washington. Um, and just to be clear as well, like you, we might look at these military guys who, you know, left the administration, you know, out of principle, whatever, but we got to remember, they, they aren't good people. The Brazilian military is fucking fascist through and through. It is one of the most odious militaries on the fucking planet. Like, if you're a leftist, they are violently and militantly, not to be redundant, anti-communist. Like, read, if you haven't read Jakarta Method, read it because they lay it out perfectly. They, 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 they existed in perpetual, like inquisition of communists for the entire military dictatorship they are not they're not doing this 
out of some, you know, moral, you know, goodness. They're doing it because they're trying to save their own fucking skin as well. It's very much, it's very much an aliens versus predator situation. You know, it's it, it just because, just because one side, you know, whoever wins, we lose. You know, um, so yeah, definitely that's some. Thank you for bringing that up, Leroy. It is very important not to get seduced by the idea that these are some high-minded guardians of democracy. No, they, they, what they're trying to do is ensure that democracy isn't, you know, increased. Exactly. They're there to ensure that you know the landless. Uh, movement doesn't increase in its power that labor doesn't increase in its power you know they're not there to protect democracy they're what they're worried about is democracy that's what they fear yeah i i think um such an important part of all of this uh and not to not to switch gears entirely right but such an important part of this story is the pandemic the pandemic to say it's been a complete disaster in Brazil would be an understatement, right? Brazil, right now, in the world, is second in deaths only to the United States. Brazil is second in the entire world when it comes to COVID deaths. Right now, there's a total of nearly 13 million cases of COVID in Brazil. And over 321,000 deaths in Brazil due to the pandemic. You want to know what our bo- You want to know what our boy Bolsonaro said at the beginning of this month? If it's up to me, Brazil will never have a lockdown. No. That's what this motherfucker said. And he said, "Stop whining." And we're seeing well. the effects of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, the uh, just just a couple. What last week? The ICUs of fourteen Brazilian states were over ninety percent occupied, and those of another seven Brazilian states in the federal district district about eighty nine ninety percent uh, respectively as well. That's nearing full-blown disaster levels, right? I think Lula himself uh, called uh, Bolsonaro responsible for a genocide, something along those lines. Um, And he's right. The situation in Brazil, because of how bad Bolsonaro has handled this in Brazil, it's having effects for the entire region, right? It's having effects for the entire region. And I think this is why I bring it back to to square one with what I said a couple minutes ago. I really don't rule out Bolsonaro getting impeached over this shit. I really don't rule something like that out. Only because, because of that return to normalcy. Because, oh, Jesus Christ, do we really want to have this fucking clown making us look bad anymore? Now let's just fucking cut our losses, get rid of this fuck, and get a nice, you know, a better suit wearing motherfucker. Let's get, let's see what Michelle Temer is up to. Let's get that motherfucker back. In <laughs> and as we all know, um, they have impeached presidents for far less. Uh, Absolutely. And and I'm sorry, one final thought on this. Um, We talked about Lula. Um, All I'm going to say about this to everybody out there, stay strong. Stay strong and don't hold the line. Because too many of you motherfuckers did not hold it when it mattered. When it comes to Lula and the PT, hold the fucking line, right? Only a united left will be able to take back Brazil. Fundamentally, only a united left. If the left is disunited... This shit's going to happen again. So uh, when I think about Brazil, that's the number one thing in my mind. Hold the fucking line, right? And let's 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 uh, be there for our comrades. That's 100%. it. Back to you, Leroy. 100%. And um, I think I've said it before. For me, as Brazil goes, the region goes. So if Brazil's collapsing, if Brazil falls into you know further fascism, that's not good news for the region. 
Um, but if Brazil's on the up and up with the good guys in charge, that's very good for the region. Um, anyway, yeah, so we'll put a bow on that one. Um, again, for me, Brazil is such a complex place. I would love to do an entire podcast on Brazil, but obviously, you know, that's that's a different project. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll move on to Honduras, one of Yo. um Austin's sort of um wheelhouses. So I'm sure he's happy, he's giggling right now. Oh man. Um Oh man. We'll cover the we're gonna cover like the primary, we'll cover the fucking um the narco the, the narco brother in prison and all that shit. Um also if I'm not mistaken, a um the latest the latest caravan was actually turned around on the border of Guatemala or some shit like that. I don't know if you know more about that, um Austin. Uh well what I do know is that the last couple caravans have been getting have been running into issues in Guatemala and that's been after the, the new uh, Trump policy of uh, outsourcing um, that sort of uh, work to both Mexico and Guatemala with uh, AMLO, must be said, and uh, Jamatei in Guatemala being very willing partners in this. So that's uh, very important to point out. They've been very willing partners in cracking down on uh, Central American migrants who are, of course, fleeing narco violence, who are, of course, feeling, uh, fleeing right wing violence, right? Um, so yeah, that, that, that sounds uh, about right. However, it also must be said that's not going to make these caravans go away, right? Cracking down on them and, oh yeah, let's just stop them at the Guatemalan border. That's not going to do anything, right? They're going to keep coming as long as you, as long as it's in the United States best interest to keep Honduras a shithole, right? To keep it, to keep the people in as much misery as possible, uh, yeah, they're going to flee. They're going to flee, and they're going to to, to try and, and and try and protect their families. Um, so yeah, oh my goodness, you, you mentioned Tony Tony Hernandez, right? Juan Orlando Hernandez's brother, right? Who who just was uh, like it's the the his family Juan Orlando's Orlando Hernandez's family has been known to be involved in this shit uh, for years, right? People long suspected it, right? People long knew that uh, they were involved in literal narco-trafficking, uh, which, Leroy, I believe you mentioned on our, our episode that we did just a couple of days ago. It's the exact sort of thing that they try and paint uh, Maduro or you know Ortega or somebody else uh, being involved in. Yet, what we know is the United States loves to support narco-dictators such as uh, Juan Orlando Hernandez. So it's particularly hilarious to see his brother finally... Uh, um, it's finally been proven and admitted in U.S. courts that yes, this dude was fucking running drugs, and yes, it's strongly implicated uh, that his uh, that Juan Orlando Hernandez himself was involved in all of this. How the fuck wouldn't he be, right? I guess is the question. How the fuck wouldn't he be? And I particularly found it amusing to see uh, Mel Celaya, right, the former president, and uh, his party, the leftist party, Partido Libre, uh, showing their asses about it on Twitter, right? You know, saying we told you so. Um, this is, uh, this is what the fuck we told you was going to happen. Um, motherfuckers like to forget, uh, when Mel Celaya was in power, uh, poverty rates in Honduras, uh, were trending downward. Uh, luckily for the United States, those trends reversed after Mel Celaya, uh, was cooed. So it went exactly according to plan to the United States. So, uh, good for them. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we want to get into the fucking clusterfuck that are the primaries yet. Uh, but I don't know if either of you have thoughts on, uh. Good old turn Tony Hernandez being uh what was it was he convicted or he was just indicted some shit like that I'm no lawyer I'm not a lawyer I'm sorry no I'm 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 pretty sure he was convicted I'm pretty sure he's going to, he's going to prison yeah you're and right again it's you're it's, right he was full blown convicted back, yeah he's and it's, and this goes back to a few of the other things um that we talked about just before like when a U.S. backed puppet 
gets too dangerous for U.S. image, the dominoes start to fall. So Juan Orlando Hernandez is getting too 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 shitty. So that's why we saw the introduction of those Senate bills to sanction you know the people in Honduras or whatever. And this is this is part of that. And just quickly going to the caravans, um, check out our conversation with um uh, with um with um, Brent O'Connor about his book, Blood Red Lines, because a lot of that has mm. to do with, you know, the caravans and the border fashion that exists. Um, and yeah, like if you, if you create the conditions, the caravans are going to keep going, coming. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you put a fucking thousand foot walls and shit, like you create the conditions, people are, trying to, are going to try to, to escape them. Um, but yeah, it's full circle. It's full circle. Like this is one of those examples that, um, again, like we, we told you. We told you, we told you, we told you. When it gets too inconvenient for empire, when it gets too inco- inconvenient for capital, Dominoes start to fall. They're going to cover their asses. They're going to, you know, try to, to wash their face of it, wash their hands of it, but then re put some, someone else in that'll, that'll sort of um, refurbish their image, I guess. Absolutely. And uh, on that point, talking about the primaries, uh, some of you may recall um, four years ago, uh, in 2017, uh, Juan Orlando Hernandez uh, ran for re election and was reelected. Uh, which was particularly hilarious since this was, was something he that the right wing. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> was right. He, he wasn't. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. That's uh yeah. Listen to previous podcast episodes for that one. Um, but yes, he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, after he was, you know, quote unquote reelected, right. Um, the, uh, uh, it, I found it, we of course found this particularly hilarious because this was one of the big complaints that the Honduran right wing had against Mel Zelaya and was the reasons for why they cooed him, right? That he was going to pursue re-election and change the constitution, right? And then Juan Orlando Hernandez just did that anyway with nobody saying anything. So that's, you know, fun, good, you know, fun times in Honduras. Um, interestingly enough, though, I don't know, uh, how much either of you have digged into the uh, Honduran primaries. I know, you know, Honduras is a small country. It's easy for this stuff to fly under the radar. Um, since I, you know, I have family in Honduras, I do my best to try and, you know, pay attention to these sorts of things. The primaries, to say they have dominated Honduran and political Twitter, Honduran left Twitter, oh my goodness, that would be an understatement. How much of a, how much of a clusterfuck, uh, the, how much of a quagmire uh, Honduras, and in particular the Honduras and the left, finds itself in. Um, they're going to have to answer uh, some pretty tough questions in the next couple months. And I'd be really interested to know the opinions of you both on this, right? Especially because, once again, I don't know how much either of you have kind of dived deep into these primaries, uh, but I'd be interested to know kind of your fresh perspectives on, on this, on a little bit of this. So let me do a little bit of a, a rundown as best as I can. Um, our boy Juan Orlando Hernandez is not running for re-election. He will not be running for re-election, you know, kind of like we said earlier, these guys get their orders from Washington. So once, you know, they've uh, outlived their use, uh, especially with water. If anything, Washington's really sending signals to this motherfucker right now saying, we're going to throw your ass the fuck in jail, right? If you keep bullshitting. Um, so, yeah, it'd be hilarious to see if they actually go through with that. Uh, so, Water Lando Hernandez is uh, the is a member of what's known as the National Party, right? The National Party is the conservative party within Honduras. Um, historically, Honduras had a two-party system. The National Party, which is the conservative party, and then the Liberal Party, which is the Liberal Party. <laughs> uh, right now, <laughs> right now, a major <laughs> a major player is Libre. Partido Libre, which is the new leftist party that was founded by uh, yeah. Mel Celaya after he returned from exile and coup. So that's why I say that Honduras was once a two-party system. It's not that anymore. Um, now, 
another player is uh, Salvador Nasrallah, who was in coalition with Libre in 2017, yeah. but has since fallen out with them. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Salvador Nasrallah, who will be, uh, who I like to call him the uh, the wannabe Bukele of Honduras. Why do I call him that? You want to know what the name of yeah. you want to know what the name of Salvador's uh, party is? Who wants to know? And no, it's not Nueva Ideas. If anybody's going to say that, it's even stupider than that. The name of his party is Salvador de Honduras, the savior of Honduras. That's the name of his fucking party. So in, insert so, jo- insert Joker oh meme. God. Yeah. So that is, and we'll we'll get into old Nasrallah here in a moment. Um, that's one of the questions the left's going to have to be asking themselves, right? So here's. The dilemma that the left... So, before I even get to the dilemma that the left faces, let me go through the candidates. So, Ho, Juan Orlando Hernandez, is not going to be running for re-election. Um, now, does he have a successor? Of course he does. The mayor of Tegucigalpa, Nasri Asfura, uh, won the party for the... Uh, or won the primary for the National Party. So, that is Ho's successor. That is basically the person that will maintain the, the Washington line and do whatever Washington wants, right? This is the mayor of Tegucigalpa, the capital of Honduras, right? Nasri Asfura, right? So, this is Ho's third term. Juan Orlando Hernandez's third term, if Nasri uh, was to win. Uh, for Libre, uh, Mel Celaya's wife, Xiomara Castro de Celaya, uh, was nominated by Libre. Um, Xiomara Castro de Celaya ran for president in 2013. Um, this was before this was before the most recent rigged election, right? This was the first blatantly rigged election. Um, when Xiomara, uh, this was uh, when she ran in 2013. That was Partido Libre's first election as a party. Uh, Juan Orlando Hernandez defeated her. Uh, however, the there was you know some accusations of fraud. It was a little kind of you know exactly it was you know people were kind of wondering you know what the hell kind of happened. But that was the beginning of the cracking of Honduras's two-party system, because though Xiomara did not win in 2013, Libre beat the Liberal Party and came in second. Right, so that was the beginning of the cracking and kind of like the 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 casting into irrelevance of the Liberal Party, um, which it should be made clear. Mel Salaya, when he was president, he was a member of the, Liberal, the Liberal Party. Right, Libre yeah. did not exist. He was a member of the Liberal Party. In fact, Mel Salaya came from the upper class, a famous upper class family in Honduras, in Honduras. traded to his class, somebody called. Um, so, uh, that's, uh, so that's, you know, Libre, um, Libre, as I mentioned, was in coalition, Xiomara Castro specifically was in coalition with Salvador Nasrallah in 2017. And it was because the left was united in this coalition and they even nominated Nasrallah as president. He was their guy, kind of same trajectory as Bukele, right? Came up with the FMLN, right? That's a whole, you know, a lot of parallels there. Um, but Nasrallah was their guy. Um, and, uh, that's when the, uh, the, as Nasrallah, the votes were coming in and Nasrallah was beating Juan Orlando Hernandez. That's when, oh, lights turned off, turned back on a couple hours later. <laughs> oh, wow. He beat it. He just shaved him. Well, oh, 0.5%. No way. You know, so that's, uh, so, someone that's slipped on the that, banana uh, peel infamous. and anvil fell on somebody's head. There's a painted <laughs> tunnel in the side of the mountain. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> And and I'm sorry, I can get a little bit into the weeds with Honduras, so I'll, I'll try and I'll try and be brief here. No. Um, but uh, Salvador Nasrallah, right, uh, was uh, uh, should have won that election. Um, after that happened, 
uh, Salvador Nasrallah, uh, after the election was raged from them and Juan Orlando Hernandez won, Salvador Nasrallah, not too dissimilarly from Nayib Bukele, I have to say, uh, started uh, denouncing the left, right, br- blaming Libre. Oh, it's all the political elites. You see, I'm against all the political elites. Oh, a former Pepsi executive in Honduras? Oh, don't worry about that. I'm against all the political elites. Yeah, oh, anti-corruption, populism, right? So that's kind of like uh, Salvador Nasrallah. That's kind of been his line ever since then. So the most interesting part of all of this was the Liberal Party primary. The party for the the primary for the Liberal Party, right? So he went through three primaries so far. The National Party, that's the Conservatives, the Libre Party, that's the leftists, and then Nasrallah's party. And then Nasrallah's party, the uh, quote unquote populists or the third wave, we'll call them that. Um, the Liberal Party, the Liberals, well the it, it, people were um People were unsure who was going to win this. It was going to come down to two people. Uh, Luis Celaya, no relation to the good Celayas, right? Luis Celaya, who's an old-school Liberal Party perennial presidential candidate, ran in 2017, right? He's as Liberal Party establishment as it gets. And Luis Celaya, when he was uh, going into the nominations, was talking about and strongly hinting toward a coalition with Salvador Nasrallah, right? Basically, the thinking was that if Luis Celaya wins the Liberal Party nomination— He'll go into coalition with Salvador Nasrallah. They'll push him as the main character and basically tell Libre, either fucking vote with us or fuck you, right? A shocking turn of events happened. Luis Celaya did not win the Liberal Party nomination. Johnny Rosenthal won the Liberal Party nomination. I saw that. Who's Johnny that. Rosenthal? Yeah, that's, that's, wild. that's another current cur- motherfucker, right? The- <laughs> a dude who literally just finished a three-year bid in the United States for fucking drug money laundering. Here's what makes things complicated. Johnny Rosenthal was a member of Mel Celaya's administration when Mel Celaya was in town. So So the thinking in some sectors of Honduras is that Johnny Rosenthal winning means that there's a higher likelihood for the Liberal Party to go into coalition with Libre and push Xiomara as the coalitional candidate. Now, the question here is, Libre going into bed with a literal narco is obviously bad and obviously not a good idea. And, you know, Libre's party leadership has not said, oh, we're going into coalition with Johnny, right? The line that Libre has been pushing is, Xiomara won the most primary votes of any opposition candidate. She should be the opposition presidential candidate because of this. Fuck Salvador Nasrallah, right? And I think that's probably the proper line to take, right? Mm-hmm. If the if the left wants to win in Honduras, they have to coalesce around a single candidate. They have to. If anything, that's the biggest lesson from 2017, right? You know, if all if every party outside of the National Party can come together in a popular front, they can beat them, right? But the problem is Salvador Nasrallah will not have a part of any coalition that does not happen at the front, right? And it seems as though we're coming to a situation where the only way Libre can get that coalition with CRR in the front is making a deal with the devil, making a deal with Johnny Rosenthal and the Rosenthal family. And once again, I reiterate, the reason people see this as a possibility is because Johnny Rosenthal was a member of Mel Celaya's administration back when Mel was in the Liberal Party, right? So once again, this is why I say, to say this is a clusterfuck, to say that Libre has very tough decisions to make is an understatement. And that's why I'm curious to know what you guys think about this, what your, what your thoughts are. And once again, there's a lot more nuances and et cetera, et cetera. This is the 
the most abridged version as I could possibly get. Honestly, the first thought that comes to mind is that this is a perfect setup for Nasrallah, honestly. Having uh, the two major parties captained by Narcos and being able to denounce, uh, you know, and then he's already broken with Libre. This is the perfect setup for him. This is perfectly, it allows him to proclaim himself as on the side of the angels, you know, crusading against the devils. Here's the only problem. Nasrallah will not be able to win. He he will not be able to beat the National Party without a united coalition. Right. The National Party, they're they're old school Latin American politics. Stuff the ballots, fucking make the bosses fire their workers if they don't vote for us, that kind of shit, right? They got the mayor of Tegucigalpa as their candidate, right? How the fuck do you think they made that happen, right? So Nasrallah has to now what could very well happen is Nasrallah because also, an added complexity, an added complexity. Honduras, like the United States, does not have runoffs, right? So you can't just have right. everybody just run and then, oh, I came in first. Let's go to a runoff. Exactly. That's right. why they have to unite. That's why they have to unite around a single candidate if they want any chance to win. So I think here's <sighs> – oh, man. Here's where I'm at with it. I – they can't, they cannot, Partido Libre cannot ally with Johnny Rosenthal because if they do, it will rightfully bury the party. It's a disaster. Yeah. Johnny, I don't give a fuck if he was in part of Mel's administration. I don't give a fuck if he like, oh yeah, yeah, we beat Luis Zelaya. We can get the liberals to support us and get the fuck out of here. This dude literally just did a three-year bid for fucking drug money laundering. He's a member of the Rosenthal family. They're the most one of the most wealthy and like corrupt families in Honduran politics. So yeah, I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Leaf. I know you're about to say something. No, that's exactly where I was going. That like it's not just him; it's the entire family apparently, who's our bunch of corrupt motherfuckers in the yeah. political game down there. Um, and my thing is because I had no idea that I just assumed they had runoffs because you know the rest of Latin America has runoffs. I was gonna say, oh, well, it'll come down to you know who's who's left at the, at the end. We'll see. You know, the U.S. comes in and to wipe their hands of um, Hernandez, they give you know Nasrallah all this money and blah blah blah. But that's not the case. So it's 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 again it's they're between a rock and a hard place. Like like you said, man. Like Libra cannot 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 you know, be in coalition with um, Rosenthal and like to them being coalition right. with a neoliberal like fucking Nasrallah as well. Like it's one of those things that you want to be as principled leftist and uh, possible, but like there's also pragmatics at play that throw a fucking bomb into everything. Yep. Well, the only way this can work out for Libre is <laughs> once again, if they can somehow convince people of the, of the line that they've been pushing, which is Xiomara, got the most votes out of anybody in the primaries. She's the one with the popular mandate, right? I think I think there's basically I think Johnny, oh, he loves that line because oh, this is his entry back into politics. Oh, of course I'll support you, Siomara, right? Oh, of course, right? If you guys will have me. Um I think for uh for Nasrallah, once again, if it's not the Nasrallah show, he's not interested. And that's why, dude, I can't trust Salvador Nasrallah. Yeah. Even though it's it's double edged sword, right? Just like the only path to victory for Nasrallah goes through Libre, the only path to victory for Libre goes through Nasrallah, right? Which is why they were in coalition in 2017 and basically did win, even though they got cheated. Um, I just don't trust Nasrallah, man. 
the the rhetoric he's had, the anti-Libre rhetoric he's had, just his career as this bullshit populist, like, and once again, former fucking Pepsi executive in Honduras. So it's, it's a clusterfuck to say the least. I think if Nasrallah was smart, which there's no indications that he really (laughs) is, but if Nasrallah was, if Nasrallah was smart, he would absolutely ally with them use it to gain credibility and power so he can build his own patronage networks, his own political networks, and then break with them and play and do the fucking uh, Bukele game. It's, it's exactly now it's more of a long game that I think that he is like strategically capable of. And again, it's ignoring, you know, the lingering, you know, again, there's still the national party. Which is still, as you said, Austin, they are a old school, you know, corrupt, you know, okay. like ballot stuffers, Tammany Hall shit. Yeah. Just quickly, when's the, actual, when's the actual election? I believe it's in November. Okay. All right. Yeah, so we got time. We got maybe time. I'll maybe I'll hit up some of my homies, get some Hondurans on the pot. See how mm. that goes. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. We're running kind of long here, so we just keep the ball rolling. Um, fucking, how do you? I don't understand how you know so much shit about like so much minutia about Honduras. But that was um, it's it's good for us. It's good for the show, man. So thank you for that. I have to, bro. Yeah, I know, man. Like, <laughs> of course. Um, Check out my shirt. I'm, I'm wearing my Honduras say, That's the first thing. Right that's up, the first bro. thing I mentioned. Like, I thought it was a Facebook shirt at first, but then I saw Honduras. So I'm like, oh shit, he's wearing his Honduras shirt. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Honduras. Anyway, we'll finish off with Ecuador, which I'm is another. Proud- I'm a proud Leroy. I am a proud wife guy for the record. Let's just put that on the record. <laughs> oh, that's right. I have I have my Philippines flag somewhere here as well. So um, I'll, I'll wear my I'll wear a Philippine <laughs> actually I'll wear my Cebu Philippines T-shirt next time. Anyway, um, Ecuador, which is another electoral clusterfuck. I, I mean, I wouldn't say as much as um, Honduras because things are pretty clear there, but still shit. And again, another example of us fucking being correct. Like, if you're not listening to us, listen <laughs> to us. Um, like I mentioned in the last show, in one of the headlines, Yaku's um, uh, prospective fucking vice president has come out supporting Guillermo Lasso, the neoliberal right-wing banker fucking president who's going up against our boy Arauz. And members of CONAE, I think the president of CONAE has come out and formally endorsed Arauz, which is a massive thing. So now you have what's ostensibly the biggest indigenous group coalition, whatever you want to call it, in the country split down the middle between someone who, I mean, we could talk about contradictions and things, you know, they might have been, could have done better and whatever, but that versus someone who's going to be very fucking terrible for indigenous rights. Someone who's going to be pro mining in the Amazon, pro destroying shit that's existed for fucking ages someone who's very pro against or against Suma Kausai you know that when we read that in a political sense constitutionally was birthed in Ecuador under Correa so um there's a lot of moving parts T I know you you have shit to say I'm sure so I'll let you jump in bro well you know it's interesting so what is one of the common critiques both made in good faith and bad faith to 21st century socialists in Latin America, something of a running theme for our show too, that 
they are no different than a neoliberal government in terms of pursuing extractivist policies, in terms of the classic debate between development versus, you know, uh, indigenous control of the territory. Um, great example of how intelligent and how um, wise Konae is because uh, the more radical elements recognize that if they want to have those debates, it is better to have those debates with the 21st century socialists than it is with the fucking capitalist fucks that will, won't even listen to them. I, I'm interested to see if this is a serious split or if this is more of a, an issue of leadership versus yeah. rank and file or if this is an issue of you know, again, because there's a lot of moving parts, as you say, there's Konae is itself a coalition. That's something yeah. to remember. You know, um, it is a coalition of indigenous organizations. Um, and, you know, this this is a frustration. I'm just going to kind of vent for a moment. This is a bit of a frustration from of, this of is your mine, Honduras, which is the constant attacks, the constant attacks that 21st century socialist governments get on. Um, the the kind of uh, 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 criticism that they get from from uh, eco you know eco socialists and ecologically minded people that oh you know this that and the other they're doing this they're doing that look listen you know follow the lead of the organizers there which is quite simple they're also you know uh, they understand that they they'll get a better deal with. Uh, with the 21st century socialists. Absolutely. And <clears throat> piggybacking on a couple of things you just said there, T. Um, I think back to Arouse's rhetoric when, um, when the first round happened. What was his rhetoric? It was, oh, you guys are plurinationalists? I am too. We should be working together, right? I'm happy to work together, you know? I think that was always a very important thing for him to push. And what did we say? In our first analysis, when things were getting murky and people were getting confused, we said, they're not stupid. You don't have to tell them what's going on, right? Trust them. They know what they're, they are in Ecuador, right? Konae has been the most militant indigenous lobby, indigenous organization, indigenous movement in South America for decades, man. And there's a reason for that, you know? They have a, a long history of struggle. Um, like we like to, I like to call Quito the seat of Waskar, right? Where are my yeah. Incan nerds at, right? I think uh, that's why the first thing that, you know, we wanted to make clear was that this rhetoric of, oh, these fucking, you know, they don't know why, would, why would they be listening to Lasso? Calm down, people, calm down, you know, let's, let's actually let the situation play out. And let's, once again, listen to Andres Arousen when he's saying on this, which is not, oh, shame on you guys. How could you possibly support this neoliberalism? No, no, no. I'm with you. I agree with you guys. You're plurinationalists. I am too. Let's do this together, right? And uh, I don't know if we want to get uh, too deep into uh, the weeds here on the uh, the announcement. I sure would love to, but I don't know if either of you have to, to add anything to add to, to what you just said. I was just going to say quickly, um, another good example is going back to Bolivia. We talked about it all the time, that there's been many critiques of the handling of the ecology of the environment, um, building of infrastructure through, you know, you know, what's ostensibly like indigenous protected land. Felipe Quispe, who's the leader of the Cataristas, came out and talked about, I mean, <clears throat> Evo's the indigenous face of neoliberalism. But at the end of the day, 
what did he do? He mobilizes troops. He mobilizes movements in favor of Evo, in favor of Mas, in favor of Arce. Because at the end of the day, like you said, Austin, if they want a seat at the table, they they understand what they need to do. Because under Camacho, under Añez, under the or the fascists, what they're facing genocide. Like it's either genocide versus mm-hmm. all right, let's how can we fix, you know, the continued extractive policy policies that are, are going on here? Same thing with Ecuador. Like they're not stupid. Like they may not agree hundred percent with, you know, what's what's what, what we can argue about like establishment leftist, you know, political parties. But at the end of the day, if they want to sit at the table, if they want to address the issues that affect them directly, they need to be backing the Correista movement and Arauz. It's the frenemy system. Exactly. exactly the frenemy exactly, system. Exactly. That we talk about all the time. Yeah, and that's the way you got to engage with electoral politics, right? You don't just vote people and then, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to. No, 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 no. It should be a permanent uh, frenemy situation as far as I'm concerned, right? Um, but, anyways, uh, so kind of getting deeper into the weeds here because I think there's a lot of different nuances to, to get into and talk about, especially as this is going to be our final podcast uh, before the actual second round happens, the runoff that is. Um, and, uh, I think there's a couple things I'd like to get us into before we go too long here. Um, I feel compelled to shout out homie. Uh, I think they're at is what a mango socialism, right? One of our homies online. Um, the white ally, the white ally. Oh, of course. Who pointed out uh, very astutely, um, uh, how in recent weeks, some, you know, polling and, and some of the trends they were not looking that great for Andres considering uh, what they what you what you would expect them to look like you know in recent weeks you know Guillermo Lasso appeared to be gaining some ground on Andres aroused through through polling um, this was of course through the smear campaign that they've been waging in the, the past few months against Andres aroused against uh, UNES right the party the Union for Hope um, and a lot of this was also from the smearing coming from Yaku Perez right who was we haven't really mentioned his name yet his vice president, right, endorsed <laughs> Guillermo Lasso, right, Yaku Perez, clearly fully showing his ass as uh, he can call himself the third way or whatever the fuck he wants to call himself. He is the right wing of the indigenous movement at this point, as far as I'm concerned, as far as anybody who's actually paying attention should be concerned. And I'm glad, I'm glad that Jaime Vargas, and he was the president of CONAE, as you mentioned, came out and endorsed Andres, right? And I think it's important to be clear, as far as from what I've seen, and you did mention this, Leroy, kind of how it's split down the middle. From what I've seen, you know, Conaye itself has not endorsed Andres Arauz, right? Jaime Vargas, the president of the Conaye, endorsed Andres Arauz and said specifically, I believe his words were uh, uh, something to the effect of his proposals have, his being Andres, his proposals have our absolute support from the indigenous movement of Ecuador. Um, whatever happens, whatever comes, Andres Arauz would have the support of the nationalities of the Ecuadorian Amazon. So that's certainly a pretty goddamn ringing endorsement that I think Andres absolutely needed right now. I think I'm not going to go out and say like, oh, Andres was on the ropes here or whatever, but it was very, it seemed to be increasingly clear that the smear campaign being waged against Andres was was certainly having a bit of an effect. Um, I think with Jaime Vargas coming out and saying this and just the power that Conaya holds and just the the influence that knowing that a a significant, I mean, clearly, as you said, I split down the middle, a significant portion of the indigenous communities in Ecuador are going to be backing Andres Arauz. That's huge. That's absolutely massive, especially because Conae in the past weeks um, officially was pro, uh, 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 proposing a, a, a new low votes, right? No votes, a spoiled ballots, right? Which made this a bit of a wild card, right? If we have like a fucking 10% of the electorate going into this election, 
potentially spoiling their ballots on purpose, right? Who the fuck knows what the outcome would have been? Now that uh, Jaime Vargas is coming out, and now that, uh, uh, what the fuck is his name, Leonidas Isas or whatever the fuck, um, who's another militant leader within Konae. If I said his name wrong, fuck, I feel bad. Um, But he's a bad, because he's a really bad motherfucker. Um, Those people coming out and supporting Andres, that's huge. You know, that's massive. I think, I don't know about you boys, and I know Leroy, you had your finger up, and, you know, we're already at an hour here, but I think, I think I'm ready to call it. I think I'm calling it for our boy Andres Arauz. I'm saying it. And I'm not trying to be overly optimistic. And I understand other people out there that are urging caution. Like, once again, like our homeboy um, on Twitter, uh, our homie on Twitter, who's absolutely right in that there are some different nuances here. We're not at the finish line yet. Um, but I've been known to make a, a rash prediction or two in the past. So I'm going to make another fucking rash one. Right, which is I'm saying it, I'm calling it now. Andres Arauz is going to win. Back to you, Leroy. On that point, I agree. I was I was gonna say is when you brought up the 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 no votes or the spoiled ballots. One can arguably say that that's why um, statehood won in the referendum in Puerto Rico because a lot of people just went in and just yeah. Hot take, hot take, hot take. Yeah, I know y'all didn't think we were going a full podcast without mentioning Puerto Rico. Yeah, hundred <laughs> uh, percent. I had to, I had to bring it back home. Um, but now, nah, like, I think I think you're correct. I think um, he'll he'll win. And um, yeah, to the point about not looking great, like he was still. I think I'm pretty sure all the polls still showed him in the lead, yeah. but not as comfortably yeah, as we would have hoped. Um, but yeah, it's, like you said, it's, it's huge that um, the president of Gonaé came out and supported him. Um, Isa was the one who came out and immediately denounced um, Yaku's meeting with with Lasso. Yes. He's like, because he, he could do whatever he want, but the indigenous movement is not going to, you know, be, you know, blah blah blah, and all and all that. But um, I agree. I think Arauz is going to pull it off. And knowing the guy that Arauz is, I mean, I don't know him personally, but from what I've gathered, he's the type of guy that seems that. He's win- he wins and he's going to get immediately to work. He will immediately yeah. sit down with the indigenous movements, with the Afro-Ecuadorian movements, with all these people and get the ball rolling immediately. Because he just seems like the dude who's, he's about his shit. He's not going to go there and talk. He's about to like do his shit. That's a massively important point, Leroy. I would argue that's the most important point, Leroy. Because I think, you know, we on this podcast, especially me, I know for a fucking fact I can get a little lost in the weeds when it comes to kind of like the intra uh, electoral political bullshit that goes on, right? But fundamentally, fundamentally, what I saw today was the Ecuadorian political left take a massive step forward to repairing the genuinely burned bridges with the indigenous communities, right? That's massive. That's huge. That's huge. That's just the first fucking step, right? They're gonna. Andres is gonna have to build on this, right? Andres is gonna have to when he takes office. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I'm jinxing it already. Um, Andres is gonna have to when he takes office, really build on this, right? And really deepen their and listen, listen to the concerns, man. Listen to the fucking concerns. Um, uh, because if the Ecuadorian left doesn't, you know, then don't be surprised when they find themselves back here in four years, right? Or, or I should say, when the next election is. Um. Because once again, the I think if this wasn't a wake-up call for UNES, for the Coreistas, for the 21st century socialists in Ecuador, um, I don't know what the fuck could be, right? Because they, because this election from day one should have been a layup, right? Yeah. Lenin Moreno, incredibly unpopular, 
this election should have been and he literally should have won in the first round let's be honest uh the fact that he yeah. didn't and the fact that it nearly came to a situation where it was a very nasty uh unes versus patrick runoff yeah like wow they've got a they've they've got work to do right and i think you're absolutely right leroy in saying that andres he he seems to be the guy that's up that's fit for the job. He seems to be somebody that is actually taking this seriously and is actually going to make an effort to to actually to actually repair uh, whatever divisions there are because that's going to be extremely important. So I don't disagree actually with your assessment. I agree. I think this is this is one of those times where we all um, have the same prediction. <laughs> I don't have any disagreement. So so with that in mind, I th- I'm curious what. You know, you know where to Konae. You know, I'm curious about what their next steps are too, because we know what the we know what the socialists' next step has to be. Uh, we know that they have to repair some of those bridges that you talked about that that have you know been sundered. I'm curious, but about them because now with with Yaku and people like him, there's clearly some snakes in the grass um in the leadership um so i'm curious about what they do next so that that's my question that's absolutely an important question as well the other side of that coin right which is that kone has got to get their house in order in my opinion right and what the fuck do i mean by that in, in practical terms um so kone uh, you know we just mentioned jaime vargas came out and endorsed andres arouse uh Pachakutik, the quote-unquote political arm of kone was not happy about this, right? Pachakutik, which is kind of, I don't know if I'm going to say toad the Yaku Perez line more, but certainly seems to be more, <laughs> it is certainly more explicitly anti-Korea, anti-Arals, anti-Konae than, uh, or excuse me, anti-Korea. Right, right exactly. Is. I think that's that's an issue, man, right? You look at the way MAS has been uh, effectively controlled as the political instrument of the indigenous movements. What the fuck is wrong with Pachakutik, Right. Clearly, something has gone wrong along the way here, right? Uh, and I think that's uh, that's that is absolutely an issue um, in and of itself. I think uh, it's particularly amusing that you know Leroy, you mentioned uh, Isa uh, shitting all over Yaku for the meeting with Lasso, Lasso, which was not approved by Kone, which was not a decision that Kone made. Um, I find it amusing that when that happened, Pachakutik didn't say shit. Yet this, when Jaime Vargas comes out and endorses Andres. Oh, now Patrick Kudik's mad about it. Well, you guys didn't say shit when Yaku was disobeying everybody that's, else in meeting with Lasso. So what the fuck's going on here? That's a good pickup. That's the question, then. The question is, is what is the relation going forward between Konaye and Patrick Kudik? Um, that is the question. Like, that is what I'm curious about, you know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But I agree. I think uh, we're about to see the, the, the pink tide roll back in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. And, and sorry, last thought here. We're, we're running long here, so I'll just finish this up with this. We're not done talking about the story. I'm hoping that after the runoff, when the dust has cleared, we'll maybe get some homies that were down there uh, to kind of see everything go down and give us once again that that on the ground perspective of kind of kind of kind of how things developed. Uh, but but we'll, we'll see how that goes. One thousand percent. And you heard it here first. Arauz is going to win with the Union of Hope. Um, if he doesn't, boy. Whew. That'll be that'll be an interesting show. We we'll have. Just, I was just saying, we'll just end the podcast. Like, yeah, which is we're, we're, 
Uh, no, no, don't ever say that. Don't ever put those Bro, words out there. Oh, shit. That would be a massive eating of shit. So now I'm already regretting saying that. I It happens. I'm, I'm, retract, I'm retracting my prediction. No. No. No, 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 no. Because here's the difference. Here's the difference. When we're wrong, we're going to own that shit. Of crit. We're going to own that shit and move what on. Is, what does Chairman not yeah. talk about? Self-crit. Self-crit will come back and will be better, right? Um, Praxis and theory. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put a bow on it there. Um, again, thanks for tuning in. And again, if you haven't checked out our comrade conversation with Arepa Libre about Vieques, please, 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 please do that. Because, you know, us being Puerto Rican, Puerto Rico being the center of our politics, our, you know, how we view the liberatory struggle, it all starts with Vieques. So please listen to that. Listen to what she has to say. Um, listen for our sort of, you know, analysis and, and, and context for that, um, because that'll go a long way to getting a better idea of what's going on in Puerto Rico and the U.S. colonies um, at, at large. Um, and again, if you support the show, if you support what we do here, if you support the struggle, consider heading over to our Patreon and showing us some solidarity. Again, not only will you be helping us do what we want to do, you'll also help or you'll gain access, I should say, to our Machete After Dark, which is, you know, we just, it's the Dude Rock's culture, man. The Dude's Rock culture, which um, is something we live, That's right. we live by. Also, my official sign-off line from now on is going to be counting of the days, right? It has now been 1,290 days since Vieques has not had a hospital. And I will make sure to update you fucks on that every single podcast. 1,000%. We should make it a, 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 a rolling tally on the on the Twitter account as well. Because that's oh, that's yeah. the thing. We, we mentioned it. Like, it's not that they have shitty hospitals or shitty medical centers. They have no, no hospital or medical centers, which is fucking bullshit. Um, anyway, listen to the last um, episode for more on that. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, keep your eye on what's going on in Ecuador, Honduras, um, and Brazil, especially for everything that's going on. Um, and yeah, with that, we'll catch you next time. Hasta la victoria. Cheers. Later, y'all.